Everyone else, good morning, church. It's good to be good to be back with you. Thank you for uh, allowing uh, me and my family to have time away uh, together on vacation. It was it was very restful. It was uh, refreshing. Um, thankful for um, um, all of you and, and your support and encouragement and prayers as we were away and, and welcoming us uh, back. But I'm glad to be back this morning, uh, and this morning we get to start into a new sermon series uh, as we will be going through the book of Galatians. Galatians. And, and so go ahead and turn, turn with me to Galatians if you've, got, if you've got a Bible. And as church, as we go through Galatians, we're going to see more and more how to understand, receive, and live out the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. So as you continue to turn to Galatians, I'll share with you a story that I've, I've shared before. Many of you have probably heard this before, but I believe it'll help you understand why I believe Franklin City Church needs to go through Galatians right now. In October 2023, why does Franklin City Church need to go through Galatians? And the story has to do with C.S. Lewis during a British uh, conference on comparative religions. Uh, as the story goes, experts from all around the world had, had gathered, and they were, they were in a room at one of the breakout times, and they were debating and discussing if there was anything unique about the Christian faith. I mean, every faith, every worldview, there's some overlapping things. There's some things that are similar. Uh, I mean, every, every faith, every worldview has some degree of morality, some standards of what is right and wrong. And so what's unique about Christianity? And someone uh, during the conference suggested it was possibly the, the incarnation. But after they gave it more thought and discussion, they realized that there are other religions that have accounts of God's appearing in human form. And someone else then suggested the resurrection. Uh, but as they discussed and debated more, other religions were found that had accounts of people coming back from the dead. And so the debate goes on and on until C.S. Lewis wanders into the room and he asks what they are debating about. And they tell him that they're discussing what, if any belief, was unique to the Christian faith. And he says, oh, that's easy. And he walks to the chalkboard and he writes down in big letters the word grace. Grace. And after some discussion and debate, they all agree, yeah, it's it's grace. It's grace. Every other faith, every other religion, every other worldview are essentially, when you boil them down, the same. They are proposed systems in which human beings work to earn the favor of some god or deity. But Christianity is unique. And God's word is, is very clear. And it, it proposes something to us that is, is really too good for humans to come up with. And it's even more difficult for us to understand, receive, and live out. And that is that God's favor comes to us not because of what we have done for God or earned from God, but because of what he's done for us. The gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a gospel of grace. It is the good news of God's undeserved and unearned favor. And therefore, it is grace that is unique to the Christian faith and makes it distinct from all others. And so my question for us this morning and over the next several weeks is this, is grace 
In reality, is grace what mainly makes our lives unique and distinct from the world around us? Like if a, if a friend walked into a room full of people discussing and debating what made your life unique and distinct from others, would they be able to easily and honestly go to the board and say, that's easy, it's grace? Could they honestly say that about you? That you understand, that you receive, and that you live out the gospel of grace every day? If someone walked into your home and observed your household for 24 hours and they were asked, what, if anything, makes this household unique from a non-Christian household, would they be able to easily and honestly say, that's easy, it's grace? It's grace is what makes this home unique. It's grace that makes this home a Christian household. If someone walked into this church and observed our church for a couple of weeks and they were asked, what, if anything, makes this church unique and distinct from all other gatherings of people that happen around throughout the week, could they easily and honestly say, yes, it's grace. It's grace. And my prayer is that if that could not be said of this church right now, that by the end of this series, that would be true of us, church. Philip Graham Reichen, he's a Presbyterian minister, and he calls Paul's letter to the Galatians a letter for recovering Pharisees. You see, all of us, we're, we're all to some degree recovering Pharisees. And, you, and you've heard that term. I think even Pastor Kevin used uh, uh, the term recovering fools that we've, we've used from other authors have used that term. And, and we go to the wisdom literature and seek wisdom for, because we know that we all are recovering fools. We have some folly still in our heart that we need God's wisdom for. Well, here now we've, we've got another category. We go to the letter of Galatians because we are recovering Pharisees. And we all have a part of our heart that is recovering from this past pharisaical system. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, we are all recovering Pharisees. Because all of us have been delivered out of the present evil age, which is an age that is largely defined by the system that God will do for you, that what God will do for you primarily depends upon what you do for him. That's the, that's the evil age, that's the system that we're being delivered out of. That God will, what God will do for you primarily depends upon what you do for him. That God helps those who help themselves. That you do your part, God will do his part, and then you'll earn his love and favor. But that is not the good news that we see proclaimed in God's word. No, grace changes everything. And so if you've been with us throughout the summer, we were, we were going through the Ten Commandments. And hopefully you were able to see this summer how the grace of God even transforms the law of God for us. That, that we do not strive to live by these ten good words for our justification, but instead for our joy. And we saw in these ten good words how the law, how these good words uh, and these commands from God, how they reveal to us the heart of our Father. How they reveal to us the sin that still exists in our heart how they then lead us to Christ. And then, once we've been freed and empowered by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, then the law guides us in how to live and love wisely and freely as children of God. 
And so even though we hopefully all experience the grace of God in the Ten Commandments this summer, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into this fall realizing that, myself included, we still have a room full of recovering Pharisees. And so I believe we need to go to Galatians next. We've hopefully all been awakened to an appreciation of the law of God and especially the ten good words we saw in the Ten Commandments. But now, while that's fresh in our lives, we need to hear God's word from Galatians, a letter written to recovering Pharisees. And we need to see more and more how to understand, how to receive, and how to live out the gospel of grace. I know that many of you believe you have been saved by grace. But I'm not sure that we yet know how to live by grace. How to be strengthened by grace. How to have our faith strengthened by grace. I'm not sure that this grace is what makes our lives and our homes and our church and our workplaces unique and distinct from those around us. And so let's, let's right now as we start, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask for God's blessing upon the preaching of his word and this series of Galatians. And then we'll get into Paul's opening greeting here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who reveals himself, who makes himself known, who, who declares truth and and. and has revealed yourself, Lord, not only through creation, but through your inspired word. And so we ask, God, that you would bless us as we seek to preach the whole counsel of your word, as we seek to preach, Lord, the, the law and, and historical books and wisdom books and letters to the churches, Lord, would you bless us in this endeavor? Would you help me speak your truth? Would you help us receive and hear your truth? And may we be overwhelmed by your grace this morning. May our eyes be opened to see it fresh and anew. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, look with me now. Galatians 1, verse 1. We're just going to get through the opening greeting uh, this morning. But you can plan on the next uh, couple months, next few weeks, going through the book of Galatians. Galatians 1, verse 1. God's word says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So here we see that the apostle Paul identifies himself as the author of this letter. Paul, as, as many of you know, was a, a former Pharisee. He was a former persecutor of the church. Until he met Jesus, and it was after he met Jesus that he received this call and his ministry in life to testify to the gospel of grace. He says in, in Acts 20, verse 24, which we'll have up on the screen, he says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of of God. Knowing Paul's backstory a little bit, we see that Paul is uniquely qualified to write a letter to recovering Pharisees. 
to those who need still to see how to understand, how to receive, and how to live out the gospel of grace more. And so Paul does identify himself as the lead author. He's, he's writing on the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But note this in this opening, he's not writing as an isolated individual, but instead in the company of other believers. We, we learned about this at the end of Romans as we were going through all the people that Paul was greeting. He was not a lone ranger Christian. He was one who enjoyed the communion of the saints. He was surrounded in community with other brothers and sisters. And so he not only sends greetings to the churches of Galatia from himself, but also from all the brothers who are with him. And he writes this letter. This is a letter now going out to the churches of Galatia. It's a regional letter that is to circulate through the churches in the region of Galatia. And, and just so you are aware, there, there are some scholarly debates as to whether he's writing to northern Galatia or southern Galatia. And you're, you're welcome to, to look into that more and, and read some commentaries. And I'm happy to discuss that more. But it really doesn't significantly change how we understand this letter. And, and I do believe the most compelling evidence supports that Paul writes to the, the churches in southern Galatia, which is part of modern-day Turkey. And if he's writing to the churches in southern Galatia, then these are churches that he had planted on his first missionary journey. And you can read some about, uh, about that in Acts 13 and 14 as he's going about and evangelizing and planting these churches. And the reason I bring that up, the reason that's important is because he's writing this letter to churches that he has a relationship with. He knows that they have heard the gospel because he preached it to them. <laughs> but now he's away from them, and he's not been away from them very long. It's, it's believed Galatians was one of the very earliest of the New Testament writings. He hasn't been away from them long, but now what we see in, in, first, in verse 10 and we'll pick up more on this in the next sermon, or excuse me, not verse 10, but in what we see in these first 10 verses is that Paul is now really concerned about the churches in Galatia. We'll see, look, look down at verse 6. We'll just look, we won't have this on the screen. I know you're already open to Galatians, so we'll just we'll look for, at it ourselves. In verse 6, he skips all the pleasantries of expressing thanksgiving and giving general news that we see in other of, others of his letters, things they would have expected. This is just the polite thing to do when writing a letter in this time. You would expect some degree of thanksgiving and general news and updates, but Paul skips all of that, and he gets right down in verse 6 to the point, and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so I'd encourage you this week to go read the entire letter in, in one sitting, and you'll see that Paul's tone in this letter is, is different from his other letters. It's a bit more direct there's a bit more of, of some righteous anger that he's got stirred up in, in him. Because after having evangelized, planted, and discipled these churches in the region of Galatia, what has happened is some false teachers had come in and they had distorted the gospel of Christ. And they had caused some people to question Paul's authority and his apostleship. And so right from the start, Paul is on the counterattack. 
And, and, and he's on the counterattack, not because so much his reputation is at stake. No, that's, that's not primarily why he's upset. He's upset because the grace and truth of the gospel are at stake. This isn't just him being personally offended, and now he's going to go defend himself. No, he realizes that by these false teachers trying to undermine his authority, they're actually trying to undermine the gospel that he had preached. And so it's not just his reputation that it's at stake. It's the grace and truth of the gospel that are at stake. It's people's salvation and sanctification that are at stake. And so right from the start in verse 1, Galatians 1.1, we see Paul say, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. His, his authority, his apostleship, it's coming directly from Jesus. And it's one of the things these false teachers were trying to undermine. Now, we don't know every single detail about what these false teachers were up to and what they were motivated by in, in, in bringing in this false teaching, but here's what we do know from the letter itself. We know that they were motivated by pride. This is the false teachers in Galatia. They were motivated by pride, people-pleasing, and the desire to avoid persecution. And I'll I'll, I'll show you evidence of it as we go through. These false teachers in Galatia, they were motivated by pride, people-pleasing, and the desire to avoid persecution. Flip over in Galatians to Galatians 4.17. Galatians 4, 17, I want you to see that they were motivated by pride. (laughs) We've got some audio versions of the Bible being read. That's good. (laughs) First, they were motivated by pride. Galatians 4, verse 17 says, They make much of you, speaking of the false teachers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, we'll... We'll talk more about this when we get to Galatians 4.17, but I want you to see even from the start that these false teachers, they are motivated by the desire for the people to make much of them. And this is, this is classic false teacher stuff that is still at work today. They are motivated by pride. They flatter people and audiences and congregations, but they do it not because they're trying to encourage and build you up. They do it so that you'll return the favor so that you will flatter them at some point, so that you will make much of them. They're going to go about flattering you, making much of you. Also, it'll turn around on them, and you'll make much of them. I'll make much of you, you make much of me, and all the while, no one's really making much of Jesus. (laughs) This is a wrong motivation for a teacher or a leader in the church. But this is also the wrong motivation for a marriage or for a friendship. If you are motivated to hang out with people in order that they will make much of you, you, like the false teachers, are being motivated by pride. And you're in danger of diluting and distorting the gospel like they were doing. You're not living as one who understands and receives and is living out the gospel of grace. If the gospel of grace is understood and received and lived out, we don't make much of ourselves. We don't live a life to make much of ourselves. We don't get into friendships to make much of ourselves. We don't get into churches to make much of ourselves. We, we enter into relationships to make much of Jesus. 
And the false teachers, they've, they've come into the church and they're motivated by pride to make much of themselves. We see that they are also motivated by people-pleasing. People-pleasing. Paul's going to go on to write in verse 10, Galatians 1, verse 10. Why don't you flip there now with me? We'll get, we'll get to this passage next week. But we see in Galatians 1, 10, he takes a shot at the false teachers. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And we're going to talk more about that next week, but just start preparing your heart for all you people pleasers out there. We'll get to this verse next week. The false teachers were motivated by pride. They were motivated by people pleasing. And they were motivated by a desire, with a desire to avoid persecution. We see that in Galatians 6. Flip over to Galatians 6, verse 12. Galatians 6, verse 12. It says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, what was happening is is the false teachers were specifically teaching the Galatian Christians that they needed to be circumcised and follow all the ceremonial laws of Moses. And one of the reasons they wanted this was so that they could avoid any sort of persecution that some Jews like Paul early on were carrying out on the church. And so they wanted to avoid persecution. They wanted to add back in all these ceremonial and ritual laws into the gospel so that they could avoid being persecuted. And really what we see in that desire is a desire to avoid the uncomfortable and the difficult things in life that come with following Jesus. There are uncomfortable and difficult things in life that come with following Jesus. And the false teachers, they were trying to avoid that at all costs. And so instead of simply understanding, receiving, and living out the gospel of grace through faith in Christ, they started adding things to the gospel. Like here here they had the gospel in, in a cup, and they started just adding things to it, pouring more water into it, just diluting it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. They were teaching, hey, I know Paul taught that you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, but let's add circumcision back into that as well. Let's add all the ceremonial and civil laws of Israel back into that as well. And you see what they were doing, it was by adding things to the gospel of grace, what you do is you actually start to dilute it. And by diluting it, you distort it. And there was a distortion of the gospel that was taking place in the churches of Galatia. So on our vacation uh, that we were just on, we, we had the joy of sharing a house with my parents and with my, my sister and her husband and their kids. And for the most part, it was a joy except for one thing. And I figured this is the best time to talk this out between us. We haven't really talked through this, but... One of the benefits of, you know, having a time like this and being the one with the microphone. But the one thing that wasn't a joy for Brittany and myself was the morning coffee. That's right. 
Britt and I came to realize on vacation that we must either make our coffee really, really, really strong or that the rest of our family makes their coffee really, really, really weak or maybe a little bit of both. Because Britt and I, the first couple of mornings were, you know, we were one of the last ones to wake up, so we weren't the one making the coffee, and we would come down to enjoy the coffee, and after drinking uh, this, this, this coffee, um, we thought, wow, this, this tastes like water. This is really good water. And, but there's, but it was like, it was like hint, hint coffee. Have you had those hint drinks? Like, wow, that's good. Is that, is that a hint of coffee I taste in there? Just a... Just a little splash, nothing overbearing. But then our bodies told us an hour or two later with the severe pounding headaches that no, we had not had coffee two hours before. And I realized that maybe shows more of our dependence on coffee than it does that family was making bad coffee. But you see, this is what was happening in the churches of Galatia. They are adding to the grace of God, and by doing so, they're diluting it and distorting it. Okay, so I don't know at what point coffee stops becoming coffee and it just ends up being water, but if you keep adding water without coffee beans, it will at some point be diluted so much it is just water. It stops being coffee. And this is what's happening in Galatia. They're, it's not that they're saying everything that Paul said was wrong, but they're, they're adding things back now to the gospel of grace. And they're diluting it. And by diluting it, they're now distorting it. To the point that now, this is no longer the gospel of grace that they're drinking in and that they're enjoying. The false teachers in Galatia, they were adding to the gospel And we are still tempted to do this today, church. We're still tempted to do this today. We see many people say, yes, you're saved by grace, but no, you have to read from this this one specific English translation of the Bible. And if you don't have this one specific English translation of the Bible, then you're not a true Christian. No other one will do. You have to have this one. Otherwise, you're not a true Christian. Some people say, yes, you're saved by grace, but you must educate your kids in this one specific way. No other way will do. You have to do it this way to be a true Christian. Some people will say, yes, you're saved by grace, but you also must be part of this one specific denomination. No other one will do. You have to do it this way to be a true Christian. Or some will say, yes, you're saved by grace, but you must also have this one specific spiritual gift. No other one will do. You have to have this one to be a true Christian. Yes, you're saved by grace, but you can't eat this. You can't drink that. You must abstain from this and this and that to be a true Christian. Oh, you see, church, this is not an old problem. This is not a new problem. This is an ever-present problem that recovering Pharisees must guard against. We have a propensity to add to the gospel and to dilute it and distort it until it's no longer the gospel. Church, as ones who have received the gospel of grace, we are called to live out the gospel of grace. We are called to testify to the gospel of grace like Paul was. Not the watered-down version that's maybe more tolerable for Pharisees to drink, 
but the undiluted gospel of grace. Because you see, it is the undiluted version of grace that will lead to true and lasting peace. And this is what we need. This is what we're longing for. We're longing for peace. Our world is longing for peace. But true and lasting peace only really come to us when we understand, receive, and live out the undiluted gospel of grace. Look with me now at Galatians 1 verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace is a common greeting that Paul gives when he writes letters to the churches. And the reason that it's a common greeting from the Apostle Paul is is really, this is a summary of the gospel. Grace and peace is a summary of the gospel. Grace, let's start with grace. Grace is God's undeserved and unearned favor. And it is the source of our salvation and life in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace, God's undeserved favor, is the source of our salvation and life in Christ. And then when a person believes and receives and enjoys this grace, what we see result is peace with God and others. Peace with God and others is the result of receiving and enjoying the true undiluted grace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is a summary of the gospel. Undiluted grace leads to true and lasting peace. You see, one of the ways you can diagnose if you are understanding, receiving, and living out the gospel of grace is to reflect on whether or not you are experiencing peace. Are you experiencing and enjoying peace right now in your life? And I, and I know there's, there's lots, of, lots of things that aren't peaceful going on in our, in our world, but... but Are you experiencing and enjoying peace in your heart with God? Are you pursuing and experiencing more and more peace with other people? If not, could it be that you are not understanding, receiving, or living out the gospel of grace? Because receiving and living out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness, it will lead to peace, church. It will. The reason you don't have peace with others is likely because you haven't yet learned to live out the gospel of grace, which looks like extending unconditional grace and forgiveness to others. Oh, if we learn to do this, we certainly would enjoy more and more peace in our relationships. 
One of my heroes, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said in regard to grace and peace, he said, grace is the origin and source and fount of everything in the Christian life. But what does the Christian life mean? What is it meant to produce? The answer is peace. Grace is the beginning of our faith. Grace is the end of our faith. I I, I maybe misread that. Grace is the beginning of our faith. Peace is the end of our faith. Enjoying true grace, it leads to experiencing lasting peace. Now, the problem is that we many times pursue peace apart from enjoying grace. We kind of want to hop over, skip over the grace part, and let's just get to the peace part. We we want peace, but, but we haven't really understood and received and enjoyed God's unconditional grace and forgiveness in our own lives, but, but let's just get some temporary peace for the moment so that we can sleep tonight. Let's do that. And so we skip over grace and just try to get to the peace. We want peace. And so sometimes we, we do this by falling into materialism. Maybe I'll just buy some more things and, and these new things in my life will give me some temporary peace and I'll feel a little bit better about things. Or we want peace, but we skip over grace. And so we find a, a group of people who, who maybe over there, are, they're way more sinful than us. And I'm just going to compare myself to, that, myself to them. And every time I do that, I feel pretty good about myself and where I'm at with God. So that just gives me some peace by just comparing and judging those around me. Um, as long as I'm just a little bit better than them, I feel like I've got peace with God. We want peace, but we skip over grace. And so Sometimes what we do is we surround ourselves with people who will agree with us and who will make much of us and who we think are worthy of us and our time. And, it, and, and being around those people, it, it brings us some temporary peace, quiets our soul a little bit. We want peace, but we skip over grace, and so we medicate ourselves with substances or entertainment to just try to quiet down our, our restless hearts for a time, bring us some temporary peace, get us through the week. But church, know this. It is only when we are understanding and receiving and living out true grace that we will experience lasting peace. It is only true grace that leads to lasting peace. Jesus Christ, as verse 4 says, gave himself for our sins. I mean, this this shows us just how undeserving we are, doesn't it? Jesus gave himself for our sins. He willingly gave his life for our sins. He went to the cross for our sins on our behalf, on behalf of our sins. He He didn't give himself on behalf of our righteousness. He didn't give himself because of our faith. He didn't give himself on account of our hard work and good work. Church, God's word says he gave himself for our sins. That's grace. That's grace. And it's a grace that not only saves us from our sins. I'm guessing you've heard that part before, saving grace. But he gave himself to deliver us 
from the present evil age. Some of your translations might say world instead of age, but the Greek word is, is aeonos, aeon. It's referring to a time, not necessarily a place. And you see, the grace of God is, is not only the source of our salvation from condemnation, but it's also the source of deliverance from our present sinful condition and from the, this present evil age and the system we've all been delivered out of that says we have to work for our right favor with God. And this might be part of, of what is new for some of you to hear as we go through this letter to the Galatians. And it's that the grace of God is not just the source of our salvation. The grace of God is the source of our strength. God's grace is not only the source of how we're saved. It's God's grace is the source of how we are strengthened. And it is grace that strengthens us to not only make a decision for Christ, but to go and disciple the nations for Christ. Some of you got, got preached too weak of a, of a gospel of grace and, and thought that the gospel of grace was only enough to give you the strength to make a decision for Christ. Oh, but the gospel of grace, it, not just strengthen, it doesn't just strengthen you to make a decision for Christ. It is intended to strengthen you to go out and disciple the nations for Christ. It is by understanding, receiving, and living out the grace of God that we are strengthened to live as new creations, even in this present time. You don't have to turn there, but later in Galatians 6, 15, he's going to say, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. A lot of times at the start and end of a letter, you're going to see common themes about what the letter is about. And so at the start of the letter, we see we're being delivered out of this present evil age. And at the end of the letter, he's reminding us, hey, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. You see, church, we need the grace of God to save us and to strengthen us to live as new creations. As ones who can experience and enjoy peace with God and others. It is the people who are understanding, receiving, enjoying, and living out the gospel of grace. These are the people who have the strength it takes to take part in the building of the city of God in the midst of the city of man. Those that are, that are falling back into their Pharisee mode or those that are tempted towards the motivations of the false teachers, these are the people that are insecure and motivated by pride and not at peace and they haven't received grace. They don't know how to extend grace and there's this wrestling and, and, and people-pleasing tendencies and they're trying to avoid persecution and all that's uncomfortable or hard. And all the while, God's grace is there for them to come and be strengthened by so that they could go out from this place on, after our Sunday morning gatherings and they could go and take grace and peace to every aspect of their life, to every sphere of influence that God has given them, to every part of the city of Franklin and to the ends of the earth. Church, grace and peace are to flow through the church, out, out of the church, to then water the world, to melt the icebergs, to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, to bring spring to Narnia, if you understand that illustration. This is what the grace and peace that we've received from God, it's, it's not just for us. 
It's for the rest of the world. It's to help go water the ground and get the soil ready to hear the truth, to hear the gospel. Are you receiving and enjoying grace and peace from God so that it's just overflowing from you and watering all those around you to where they maybe don't know every single statement of your faith, but they know they see someone who has experienced grace and peace. Church, we need the grace of God to save us and to strengthen us to live as new creations, and that's something we'll continue to talk about as we go through this series. Jesus Christ, as Galatians 1 verse 4 says, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. You see, when our salvation and present deliverance are all because of God's grace, then what naturally will result is that God will receive all the glory. Now, I'm sure we'll, we'll give all sorts of reasons as to why we're tempted to add things to the gospel of grace, why we're tempted to dilute grace and to add to grace, but I'm telling you, the main underlying reason is that we want some of the glory. We want some of the credit. We still, as recovering Pharisees, want to make much of ourselves. Or maybe we've been sanctified a little bit, but we still want to make a little of ourselves, maybe not much. But joy and peace are found when we believe it's all because of God's grace, and therefore it's all for God's glory. The true undistorted gospel is humbling to humanity and glorifying to God. The true undistorted gospel is humbling to humanity and glorifying to God, but it's in the humbling of that message that God is helping us enjoy and experience more of his grace and as a result, more and more of his peace. Because here's another thing about grace, and we'll, we'll close with this. Grace is a lot like water or any other liquid in that it flows to the lowest places. Our yard is, is uneven, and after a rain, there, there are some places that I know water pools more than others. Those places are the low places. If I had not had water for a couple of days and I was about to die of thirst and it had just rained, I know the spots in my yard where water is going to collect the most and I'm going to go to the low places to be refreshed by the water. Church, there are certain laws that God has weaved into his universe. Water flows to the low places and the same is true of grace. James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is where grace flows. Grace flows to the low places, to the people whose hearts are low, to the poor in spirit. The proud thirst for grace, but they never find it. Oh, they maybe get a little bit of it every now and then, or they maybe hang out with others who experience it firsthand, and they share some of it with them to help them get by and not be dehydrated. I mean, isn't it true that there are many people who live their entire lives in the church who, who are mainly just there to experience some secondhand grace? They've got no idea 
what, what, it, what firsthand grace feels like, but they, they just enjoy at least the people getting some secondhand grace. But the humble get low and they drink the grace of God and they drink it and they drink some more and the humble have received so much of it that they can off now offer it to others. It just flows out of them to the world around them, to the relationships around them. God gives grace to the humble. And some of you, maybe God is humbling right now. And you wonder why he would do such a thing. You maybe think he's punishing you or neglecting you. But church, could it be that he is humbling you and bringing you to low places so that you would experience and enjoy more of his grace and more of his peace? Church, if you think you've heard about grace and you don't need to hear about it anymore, I've got news for you. God is just getting started in showing you how great his grace is. Ephesians 2 verse 7 says that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's just getting started. We're just going to scratch the surface going through Galatians. But in the coming ages, he's going to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. And may we taste of that a little bit more in these next few months. And so I think probably the right place to start this series as I end this sermon this morning, in a room where, where I am one of, of many recovering Pharisees, um, is I think we need to start with some confession and some repentance. And so let's pray. Bow with me.